Hello and welcome to Curated Spaces, the podcast that explores the stories behind spaces reimagining how we stay, work and play. Join me, Molly Cooper, as I sit down with founders, owners and thought leaders to hear about their journey of bringing a space to life. Great spaces shape our lives. They inspire, nurture and connect us. But most importantly, they bring us together to share life's milestones with the people who mean the most to us. So whether you're a traveller, foodie or design seeker, join us as we celebrate the power of spaces and the brilliant people behind them. Today I'm sat in the gorgeous morning room here at the Headland, an iconic building in the heart of Cornwall. With endless sea views, this has long been a must-visit destination for people across the UK and beyond. I'm delighted to welcome Berry and Palmer, whose parents bought the Headland and poured their hearts into restoring it back to its pre-war glory. I'm really excited to learn all about her family's story and the future of this brilliant building. Berian, welcome to Curated Spaces. Thank you very much for having me along to talk to you. On this beautiful sunny day as well, really. It's always sunny in Cornwall, <laughs> particularly in Yiki, of course. <laughs> exactly. Now, before we go into the story of the Headland, I'd love to hear a bit about you and your past, which I know is inextricably linked with the hotel. Golly. Okay. So, yes, um, the hotel's been in, in my family for my entire life. Um, and it's, I think, growing up, um, I was... I was aware that my parents had a hotel, but they were very keen for us to not become hotel brats. Um, so we were never allowed to order anything ourselves. We used to have to ask our parents who then order something. Um, and as children growing up, we the hotel used to close during the winter months um, because the business wasn't there. And I remember bringing my brand new roller skates I got for my birthday in to roller skate on the ballroom floor when I was, I must have been, eight or nine, maybe 10. Um, and my, my siblings remember riding bicycles down the main stairs um, in, in the hotel closure period. Um, so yes, all three of us have grown up um, with the hotel inextricably linked to us. And um, yeah. That's amazing. I don't think many people can <laughs> say that about their, their new pair of rollerblades, can they? <laughs> and we're here um, in Newquay, just off Fistral Bay, Fistral Beach. I'd love to know what's, if you sort of set the scene for our listeners a bit, where in the world are we? Are there any favourite spots of yours? Well, so we are right down in the southwest mm-hmm. of the UK, um, sort of not quite on the sort of the point of the boot, if you, if yeah. you, if you know what I mean. Um, but yes, down in beautiful Cornwall. And um, we are on the North Cornish coast um, with its beautiful sandy beaches, mm-hmm. um, not like the pebble beaches on the south coast. <laughs> <laughs> As you might guess, a bit of a North Coast, South Coast dividing Cornwall. Feeling that vibe, yeah. (laughs) Um, And for me, I think the best bits of of Cornwall, particularly, and the best bits of Newquay are the amazing beaches in Newquay, many of which are dog-friendly, so you can Mm -hmm. walk your dog on them year-round. And then I think for me it's much more about the seasonality. I mean, the summer season is wonderful because that's what brings us in every, majority of people who live in Cornwall, it's what, what brings us our income um, to see us through the, the quieter winter months. But then you get these beautiful shoulder seasons, like now, September, where the the crowds have gone and you can get the most amazing, beautiful days of weather. Um, and you can go and you can go walking, you can go southwest coast path walking, and you won't see anyone. Yeah. It's extraordinary. Um, and I think for me, um, those are those are the, the best the glorious days of being in Cornwall. Yeah, Cornwall to yourself. 
gorgeous. Now let's talk about Headland. It's quite an iconic building, isn't it? I'd love to learn a bit about its history, when it first started and how things have changed since then. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, using the word iconic is quite, is, is quite bold, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel that our, this beautiful building is iconic. Um, we're in the centre of the Monopoly board for Cornwall, alongside the Eden Project, the biomes. Um, and it's a very recognisable roof line. Mm. Um, and so I think, I think it does deserve that, that often sort of overused phrase of being an iconic building for Cornwall. Mm-hmm. Um, the hotel company was formed in 1897 um, and um, the hotel took three years to build, um, uh, opened its doors in uh, June 1900. Mm-hmm. Um, 20% of the build cost was spent on the terracotta, wow. sort of the orangey red uh, cladding you have around the outside. Um, and it's just a note to everyone that just like when you have a terracotta kitchen floor that soaks up anything you drop on it, oh um, terracotta soaks up seawater that's being driven by the wonderful Cornish winter storms quite a lot. Uh, don't build your hotel out of terracotta <laughs> if you're planning on building one. Um, so, yes, it, it was built um, to be the finest hotel in the southwest. That was the express intention. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it opened its doors, it truly was. Um, welcome down orchestras from London for the summer season. Um, parties would arrive by train or by car um, down to stay um, where they would take suites of rooms um, with bathrooms across over the corridor on the internal sort of light, uh, light well facing areas um, and staff would be up on the third floor um, because back then of course you would have traveled with your staff mm-hmm. um, and yes it was a very very different um, operation than it yeah. is now it was 50 years ago um, that's yeah. amazing and you showed me earlier the room with photographs of you know prime minister's letters from the prince of wales as private secretary um it's just brilliant it feels like there's a really strong link to the past here yes i think we've we've been very lucky that there's a lot of archive material um that's available and then what i think is truly wonderful is we every so often get a um a a letter or an email nowadays from people saying I've been I've been um, tidying up my off my parents or my grandparents' house who've often sadly passed away, and we found some things from the headland we think you might like. Wow! So recently we had um, someone's grandparents had got married. I would say I think it was in Sheffield in a cathedral, obviously incredibly wealthy, wearing tiaras, which is in nineteen thirty seven thirty nine which back then would have been only in the presence of royalty. Mm. Um, and they then took a plane flight. They flew down to Cornwall to the Headland for their honeymoon. Wow. Um, and they, were, we had, they had all their flight maps. And the, um, they took six flights. They hip, sort of skipped across the country. Um, and there's a picture of them at Newquay Airport um, getting out of a very tiny plane um, before coming to the Headland. Um, oh, brilliant. And it's amazing when people send us things and we yeah. very carefully archive it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's wonderful to be able to draw on things. Here we have copies of menus from um, from the 20s. Um, and for chefs who join us to see what was being served is just, they, they, they find it astonishing that we have yeah. all of this information. That's brilliant, isn't it? I loved your story about, about dining and how that's changed. 
Yes, yeah, so when the hotel was first built, it would have been um, unthinkable to have dined with other people, particularly if you were sort of high in society. Mm. Um, and so you would have taken a series of private dining rooms um, facing the ocean, um, which um, obviously they were all knocked through at some point. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so very, very different to nowadays. Yeah, which you don't even think about. And then, of course, the war came and it was a, a different tale for the Headlands. Yes, so... Um, like many of the hotels in Newquay, um, the hotel was sort of hotel Headland was requisitioned by the mm-hmm. RAF. Other hotels became um, the sort of the evacuees from boarding yeah. schools. Oh wow! Um, so a lot of hotels in Newquay became um, evacuee boarding yeah. schools. Um, but yes, yeah, so we were we here were requisitioned by the RAF to be a hospital. Mm. Um, and until about fifteen years ago, probably a little bit longer, mm-hmm. um, most years we would have. I can say a little old lady yeah. coming in the door who'd worked here as a nurse. Wow! Um, during the Second World War, and it was always amazing to hear the stories that came out, mm-hmm. and it was so strict. Yeah. Um. So very, very strict. Um. And I think, I think we've just been so lucky over over the decades that my parents have had the hotel to have had so many people who have a memory of mm. some of. Uh, visiting the hotel as a child or as a as an adult um, and coming to sort of re- tell us of their memories yeah. um, and so we normally try and keep a really accurate record of what they say and record everything down um, just so that we can archive just keep the history of the hotel mm-hmm. so present I can really imagine coming here as a child sort of impression this huge building on the very tip of you know a cliff jutting out into the sea what impression that would leave on you coming back and your childhood memories I can really imagine it what I think so lovely is the we we have a lot of three generation holidays here so Mm -hmm. where grandparents might remember coming here as a child for a bucket and spade beachside holiday and they brought their children who are now bringing their children and one 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 family in particular commented that the family activities haven't changed in (laughs) 60 years as they shouldn't. They have breakfast. They go to the yeah. beach. You go playing in the rock pools. Mm. You build sandcastles. You yeah. maybe go for a surf. But it's it's been the same for decades and decades. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people love love that sort of familiarity that they have here. Yeah. And actually, we're all simple beings, aren't we? Give us a beach, a view. You don't need much more, do you? I think particularly when you've got sort of under five, mm. under seven-year-olds. Yeah. You don't necessarily need a massive water park. I mean, saying that we built the Aqua Club, but um, I, I do think for, for for sort of primary age children, a British beachside holiday is practically as blissful as you yeah, can get. Honestly, as long as it's sunny. Yeah, I know. As long as the weather's <laughs> like it is today, yeah, you're golden. So, so the the war during the war it falls into slight state of disrepair. I imagine after the RAF is is finished with it, and then. Tell us about the next chapter. Yes, so during the war, um, the hotel had very little upkeep done to it. And a hotel like this requires relentless, um, focused attention to looking after the the fabric of the building. And at the end of the war, um, it was in a state of disrepair. And there was very little building materials to be had. Mm -hmm. There was very little money around. Um, there was actually also very little workforce. Um, mm, so many of uh, men had died. And 
the hotel never really got back on its feet properly again um, for, for, for a long time. And um, it was in, um, I believe it was late 78, um, my parents heard that the, the headland was up for sale. Um, and I mean, both my parents at the time, they were uh, working in the family hotel, another family hotel in Newquay. My father they had their own hotel. Um, they'd got married when my mother was 18 and my father was 23. Um, and so aged 23 and 29, um, they sold everything they had um, and borrowed lots and lots of money um, and managed to buy the headland, um, which... 23 and 29 years old is unthinkable nowadays. Yeah, it just seems baffling, doesn't it? Baffling. Yeah. Um, that the bank would take such a chance <laughs> on something. But saying that, it was, a, it was, especially it was in such a rundown repair that you would probably, you couldn't really sleep on the third floor or the second floor. Mm-hmm. Um, it really was um, in a, a terrible state of, uh, terrible state of affairs. Um, there was blue carpet up the walls in the front hall reception fire brigade told my father that he had to take down he wanted to open the hotel i think uh, an inspector told them that they were barely barely scraped two stars um the eve before they opened for their their first summer season in uh, 79 um so yes it was a a very i mean un, unthinkably big project mm-hmm. for a young yeah. a young married couple to take on um, and they then spent uh, the last 44 years pouring all their attention, um, uh, all their profits, all, all their, every penny of reinvestment mm-hmm. back into the property. Um, and the, it was awarded five stars in November 2019, um, which was, um, would, couldn't have even considered a decade ago that Cornwall would have a five-star property. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's astonishing what they've achieved. It's really amazing. And there's that really funny story of your mum being asked. Someone wanted to speak to the owner. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. My mother had my mother, bless her, had had a few struggles when she was young. Certainly, I think she said it got a bit better after she turned thirty. Um, but people would ask to speak to the proprietor, um, and she would come out and say, "Yes, I'm Mrs. Armstrong." She'd say, "No, the real Mrs. Armstrong." <laughs> that is me um and people just wouldn't believe that she was the owner of the hotel with my father it's just well to be fair i can i can see where they're coming from if you imagine a 23 year old here restoring such a building but it's an amazing story and the space today so a lot of what you touched on the history this idea of pouring all the effort their attention the profits i walked in and the welcome at the check-in desk was just so warm it and the family in front of me have obviously been here several times and lovely to see you again. It really feels like it's retained that warmth and that sort of investment and focus on its own people and building more than just a commercial building, a hotel to make profits here. How does that sound about the building today? I think, I think that is the difference nowadays is there are actually very few family owned mm-hmm. um, properties really left hotels um, even fewer luxury family-owned properties, um, and ones that have been owned for so long by the same family. Here, we we like to think of ourselves as we're five-star Cornwall, not formal, um, and 
we we encourage our team to be really friendly mm-hmm. to be really welcoming and um when they're at induction explaining to people that just as as scared as you were walking down the drive for your first interview here or for your first day here it's just as scary for some of our guests yeah. we have a really imposing building mm-hmm. that looks scary to most people everyone <laughs> um and so we need to almost um overwhelm people with welcome and kindness mm. so that they can feel relaxed yeah. and realize that we're all just a crazy bunch of people that, that work here anyway <laughs> and that really resonates and the kindness you spoke about i know you do so much for your staff and really try and get as many people involved and working here and you have is it up to the age of 86 Yes, so we, um, we, I truly believe that hospitality is an industry that can be very, very um, inclusive. Yeah. Um, so we um, employ um, a team, um, I have a team of staff who age from 14 to 86. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of, or every summer we employ um, 14 and 15 year olds on a summer placement scheme paid at £9 an hour. Lovely. Plus, uh, normally a pound or pound fifty an hour of a service charge, mm-hmm. so they do very well. Um, <laughs> and they graduate at the end of the summer. So yeah. next week, um, oh. the Saturday is the summer graduation, which is very exciting. Um, and then we also um, offer roles um, quite focused on um, those who might be semi-retired, mm-hmm. um, which is fantastic for our younger team yeah. members because. And we're very lucky that we've got some some former hoteliers here who oh, wow. came to retire to Cornwall, got bored, mm. um, and wanted to work a couple of days a week yeah. here um, as a porter, as a duty manager. Um, but they can provide so much experience and mm. just knowledge to the younger team members who can learn so much from them. Yeah. Um, and so, it, it, but then the younger team members help them with their phones <laughs> generally. <laughs> Um, and thing, and sorting out their emails, but it's it's very interesting to see that dynamic. Um, yeah. And we've got a number of staff who've been with us um, for an, a, a long time. Um, so Kathy, who uh, when I first worked at the hotel um, when I was thirteen, Kathy, who trained me as a waitress, wow. is still working with really? us uh, part time now. She she nears retirement. Um, but yes, we have a, a lot of staff who've been with us for a long time um, and have seen all the changes that have taken place in the hotel i think that must be such testament to creating the space it is to work in as well as to stay in because hospitality notorious you know people come and go they do a couple of years everyone is struggling to find enough people these days and to have people staying here for their whole career basically is is really something yes i think something we really try to foster and encourage in our team is a sense of pride um, in working here. Yeah. Um, it's not just a part-time job. It's just not just a weekend job. We really want people to be proud to say, "I work at the Headland," yeah. um, and I'm so I'm so happy. Uh, in our most recent team survey, which we do, we conduct twice a year on a wide range of topics, ninety-seven point seven of our team are proud or very proud to say they work at the Headland, um, which I think really echoes through what you're saying about your welcome people are mm. proud to work here and proud to show yeah. guests where they work and what yeah. they do which i think comes across in the in interactions with guests absolutely and to be fair i mean what a place to be proud of is absolutely gorgeous but there's so much new stuff as well it doesn't feel stuck in the past at all i mean the aqua club for example do you want to tell me a bit about that project well yes i mean we've had a 
over the years, over the decades, um, my parents have had a continual reinvestment in the hotel mm-hmm. um, and in everything here. So from building the 39 self-catering cottages, um, mm-hmm. five-star rated, back, started back in 2000 when self-catering cottages weren't really a thing. Yeah. Um, and then um, building the spa, uh, building the aqua club. Um, so the aqua club, um, we used to have a, an outdoor pool um, over on the south side of the hotel, um, which was lovely for about six days of the year yeah. when it wasn't too windy and cold, mm-hmm. um, but it's in a very exposed location. Um, and we, after we finished the cottages, um, we had a wonderful architect who said, um, we're looking at building the spa. Instead of just thinking about the spa, think about the whole site plan. Mm-hmm. Because he, he understood that my parents were thinking about future generations. Absolutely. And so what could be what is the, the master plan? What, if, you, if we could build everything, what would it be? Mm. And so we were very lucky to um, have um, planning permission granted for a six-stage site redevelopment with no objections at all. Um, that, that was in the early two, mid-2000s, um, which included yes, the spa and then the aqua club, mm-hmm. which was a £12 million project that um, opened, took two and a half years to build and opened in July 2020 um, with the six pools and a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, so a very big investment for us. Yeah. Um, and then, yes, we've still got more more to come, more to go. Yeah. Um, and we'll just keep, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. And the Aqua Club itself, I think, did your dad say that a big part of it was trying to get the community involved and it not just being for hotel guests, but he hoped that people would come and you know, do their swimming here? And Yes, so we... Um, we we have a, a members club here, but only a hundred members. It's very small. Oh, that is um, intimate. Uh, just means that we know everyone, um, oh, which okay. is quite nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we have um, what's been proved really popular is we do a thing called dip and dine, um, where you can come and have a two hour swim in the aqua club with a cocktail or a glass of wine or a beer Gorgeous. and a two course dinner. Um, and we do sort of high season rates, mm. which are pretty much I'm going to say holiday makers coming. Yeah. And then we do our locals offer um, in the low season, which is significantly discounted. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is amazing to see um, some sort of people from the local community come up weekly for date night oh. for about three months. Oh, isn't that lovely? <laughs> um, which yeah. is really nice because um, they are really helping to support our, us through the winter months, mm-hmm. um, which in turn means that we can offer far more year round employment than we've ever been able to do, okay. um, which then boosts up the local community um we're very much a um we we very strongly believe that if we can keep the money sloshing around in cornwall Mm. it helps everyone sort of rise like a tide um and so it's it's really great when the local community supports us through the winter months because that money then gets spent back on the local community so it's all worked well it comes around goes around yeah and have you seen any influence or on these these macro trends work from anywhere people leaving london moving down spending more time maybe out of London, longer weekends. Have, have you felt any impact from that here? Yes, there's certainly, um, I think we've seen it in that people are sort of be- blending their holidays with some work. Mm-hmm. We know that people will bring their laptops with them on holiday nowadays. Yeah. Um, to just, and they shut themselves away in these small private rooms to take calls. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... We we don't we don't tend to see people staying with us um, sort of 
I don't know, the um, the nomadic. The digital nomad, nomads. Digital yeah. nomads. We don't <laughs> tend to see people like that stay. I think they probably stay in Newquay. Uh-huh. Um, but they do come up to us to enjoy dining or just having coffee, working on their laptop, looking over the beach. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a real mix. I think mm-hmm. we are very much a leisure hotel, though. We aren't, as you can see, we're not corporate. Yeah. We, we, corporate being corporate is practically a dirty word here. <laughs> That's too corporate. We're not going to do that. Um, so, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting mix. Yeah, I can imagine. And now looking ahead, the next sort of chapter, the next adventure, you're halfway through your six-stage big project. What does the future hold in store for this building, this community? I know you, you spoke about sustainability a little bit earlier. I'd love to hear more about your plans for the future. That's a big set of questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where should I start? I'll start with, say, the building projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, we've still got um, further phases of our site redevelopment. Um, one of which is our underground car park, mm-hmm. um, which will remove pretty much most of the cars from the top surface, which will mean that when you drive down the drive, the hotel will look more like it did when it first opened, wow. which is very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll also, with the underground car park, then be able to do far more of our um, um, heat, uh, uh, ground source heat recovery, um, solar, hopefully. Um, so there's quite a big project with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got planning permission already granted for our 300-person um, capacity conference venue um, over in the side of the cliffs, which we're a little undecided about whether that's the right thing for the business now. But it might mean that we have an opportunity to create um, something different that is much more sustainable because back in um, the mid, uh, mid-2000s, mid um, when that was created, mm-hmm. there was practically no such thing as sustainability. Yeah. Um, and so we now are very uh, aware of our of the guardianship we have to take with our local, local ecology system here and, and our, in, in our uh, situation here. And so... We are very focused now on what we can do to be to do better building works in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, we are partnered with Earthcheck, oh, yeah. um, who are supporting us on our sustainability journey, um, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't make a carbon net pledge yet, but we are working towards where, where we're going to where, what we're going to do. It's just quite a challenge with a 124 year old building. Yeah, but I can imagine. <laughs> I imagine it's a huge job just keeping it functioning, keeping the keeping rain it out, warm. keeping it warm. Yeah, um, I think it was during the COVID lockdown eras. Um, it cost us about £25,000 a month to keep the hotel dry inside. Wow. Um, that was before energy costs went up. Oh my gosh, which is, again, it's just such a huge number, isn't it? And then, yeah. So do you think you would be able to get to the state where you are mostly self-sufficient or you still need to? At the moment, so we are currently um, reinstating our water boreholes, um, which we used to have here um, and were closed because we were asked to close them, but we're now reinstating them because we've been asked to reinstate them, (laughs) um, which is really exciting. Um, We are currently, we gather all the rainwater that falls on our ground um, in attenuation tanks for our grey water. Um, So we are really moving forward um, with... uh, what we're doing um sadly we had put in for planning permission for some solar panels mm-hmm. um, a few solar panels that would have um 
basically what it would have created because they're on the perfect uh, plane yeah. to do um, 30% of our electrical energy wow. into the hotel, Gosh. which would have been astonishing. But sadly, the uh, town council decided to uh, ch- change their, their minds on, on, on uh, permitting us to do that. Mm-hmm. But we will keep pushing forward. It's, it's something that we, it's not going away. Mm-hmm. We have to act now. Yeah. Um, and we are very much um, moving forward on our journey with this. I'm going to do a bit. That sounds really exciting. It's been such a pleasure talking to you today, Varian. Before we do go, I've got one game of uh, Dream Spaces to play with you. Imagine you've won the lottery, you're cashing in your cheque for the millions, so money is no object. Um, I'm going to give you three spaces you'd like to retreat to. Number one is somewhere to escape away from it all, to detox, detach from the world. Where are you, where are you heading? I'm going to the Los Roques Islands on the archipelago off uh, Venezuela. Wow, that was very quick. And I wasn't expecting you to say that. Why, <laughs> why did you pick that space? Um, I went traveling there back in 2005, six, and I've never been somewhere where the inhabitants of the islands um, live there. It's about 200 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get deposited on a sandy atoll in the middle of nowhere every wow. day by a fishing boat. And you hope they come and pick you back up. Amazing. And you were truly sort of on a desert island. And I think for me, there's no Wi-Fi. There is nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, being dumped on a beach with a book is pretty much up there with how I would escape from everything. About as good as it gets, isn't it? Yeah, it's just quite a long way away from here. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild to go, isn't it? Do they fly direct from Newquay? Yeah, sadly not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one. Ultimate birthday party. Where are you hosting it? 40th this year oh am I hosting a party here um I'd probably say probably top of a ski mountain somewhere lovely do you have any favorite spots um many (laughs) (laughs) um I think just being somewhere out in the in the fresh air It's, it's not really a building sorry it's that's all right it's uh, yes all all of my places here are probably they're 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 outside spaces love that outside to get that fresh mountain air amazing okay and then last one is bucket bucket list trip trip of a lifetime where are you going is there anywhere special you want to stay special to stay that's you can't ask a hotel that question (laughs) too difficult (laughs) my list (laughs) (laughs) too many i mean yes i mean just too many places i'd love to go and stay um it's terrible i watched the bbc program with monica galetti about Love. um yeah. hotels behind the doors and i pretty much every single one i'm going wow i love what they're doing with the community or i love what mm-hmm. they're trying to achieve and i want to get and stay there um so i don't know i think i i think probably would be setting sail with my husband and my two little girls maybe not with them though i don't think it'd be so good TBC, um, yeah, yeah. Um, on a proper a proper sailing adventure wow again open air <laughs> i know i'm seeing a, a theme a here, theme here. Yeah, Get getting out of this building getting away from everything um yeah anywhere there's no wi-fi no emails i think essential amazing well it's been such a pleasure thank you so much for sharing the story of the headland with me thank you very much for, for having me on your on your podcast thank you very much
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Curated Spaces podcast. For more information and content around any of the spaces we feature, head to our website or Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to have new episodes delivered straight to your inbox every Wednesday. And if there's a special place in your life that you'd like to hear on the Curated Spaces podcast, please do get in touch as we're always on the lookout for more brilliant spaces to share with the world.